0: Finding God in the Evening News, do you think it's possible? In his book of the same name, Emmy Award winning journalist, Jody Dean says, yes. I think many of us, however, would say that it is near impossible. While there are a few good or happy items of news, most of it seems to be bad news, good and bad news. It's around all the time, like the story that David Seisler tells in the Agape Press. The bad news was the lady had lost her driver's license, and she was told she needed a copy of her birth certificate before she could get a replacement. The good news, the record office was in that same building, so she wouldn't have to wait. The bad news was the copy of the certificate cost $9, and she only had $5 in cash. The good news, they would take a check. The bad news, they needed her driver's license for identification. (laughs) Of course, that's only a slight annoyance compared to the evening news, which often seems to major on human suffering and tragedy. Listening or reading the daily news leaves one feeling like they would like to be like the proverbial ostrich who puts its head in the sand and then pretends, all is well. Jody Dean points out that instead of feeling helpless when we hear the bad and sad news we can pray and intercede for those who are suffering and who are in need. We can pray for the Sudan that the humanitarian work will be allowed to reach the people who so desperately need it. When 9-11 happened many people asked where was God? Well, God was there, working through the firefighters, the policemen and women, the emergency and rescue workers. They all put their lives on the line to help to save as many as possible. There's a text in the Bible that says, all things work together for good, which means God can and will bring good out of tragedy. Bad things happen because of evil in the world. In the beginning, Adam and Eve sold out to Satan, which means that ever since, mankind has had the power to choose good or evil. When man chooses to do do evil and the innocent suffer, God works to bring some good out of heartache. A true example of this is the Amber Hagerman story. Amber was kidnapped and brutally murdered in Arlington, Texas in 1996. She was only nine years old. An evil person chose to commit a terrible, evil crime. And yet, out of this tragedy has come something good called the Amber Alert, which is helping to save the lives of numberless children. While evil reigns in the hearts of wicked people, bad things will continue to happen. However, I believe we can take great encouragement from the words in Isaiah 52 verse seven, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace and salvation and who bring good tidings. Unfortunately, the Bible teaches that the bad news is going to get worse before the end of time. But until then, let us spread the good news far and wide And let us take courage from Luke 21 verse 28. When these things begin to happen, take heart, look up and raise your heads because the coming of the Lord is near. Thank God for his message of good hope.
1: The topic today is talking in tongues. Miracles, the prosperity gospel, which is all about what? Money, money, and more money. That's the topic today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and onwards. I'm so glad to see everybody here today. I want to wel- welcome you to the Community Adventist Church. And welcome our audience around the world. Also my growing audience back in the land down under in Australia. So we're turning now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now this is a Bible reading church. This is a Bible teaching church, a Bible believing church. And hopefully a Bible, what would you say, obeying church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9, it talks about the last manifestation of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, of course, is in the church. Maybe we should look at verse 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. The Bible says that the last manifestation of the Antichrist is in the church. That's the Christian church. Now, verse 9 says, the coming of the lawless one. Now, before we go any further, this person is lawless. He doesn't believe in the law of God. He says that because God died for us, Christ died for us on the cross, we don't have to obey the law of God. So he's called the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds. What does it say? All kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and at every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. It doesn't say a lie, but it says so that they will believe the lie. So the Bible says that in the last days, the great Antichrist operating within the church is going to do marvelous miracles and marvelous signs. Mighty signs, mighty miracles. Now, the Bible also tells me me that God, at certain crisis times in the history of the world, also works mighty signs and wonders. The Bible says that. And the question is, How can we know the true from the false, the real from the counterfeit? Now, the interesting thing is it says that this power deceives people. People are deceived. Now, a person who is deceived believes in what he's seeing and he believes in what he's doing. He's deceived. He's not insincere. The Bible says he is deceived. One of the greatest religious movements in the world today is the charismatic movement. Now I want to say this very, very plainly right up front. I've met some of the most wonderful people on the face of the earth in the charismatic movement. I believe God has got his people everywhere. Don't you believe that? I believe that God has got his people in every nation under God's blue sky and I have met some of the nicest people and some of the finest people in the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement cannot be ignored because it's touching powerfully the lives of millions of people, especially in Latin America, also in North America, even in secular Australia. I've turned on my television and I've watched the great mass meetings I must tell you, I have been impressed. I've seen thousands and thousands of people talking in an ecstatic utterance. And then I've seen lots and lots of people, maybe hundreds in one meeting, come up the front. Some seem to come up in wheelchairs. Some seem to get up and walk out of those wheelchairs. I've seen what everybody would say in that movement, is a miracle. I've also seen people quote, slain in the spirit, unquote. I've seen a great preacher, now I don't think I'm saying anything crit- critically about people, but they are entitled to their viewpoints and I'm entitled to mine, so are you. So we're just talking here about freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I've seen one famous preacher take off his coat there you've got a bunch of people standing there, preachers and so forth, and he throws his coat at them and they all fall over backwards. This is not something I'm telling you so that you'll be amused because they believe that they are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some time ago, a preacher whom I know pretty well called me up and said, John, I want you to come up to Toronto. Because the Lord has spoken to me and he's told me to call you. I said, well, why didn't the Lord just come straight to me? Would have saved the phone call for a start. Well, he said, no, 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 the Lord talks to me and he wants you to come up with me to Toronto and he wants you to be part of the Toronto Blessing. Now, you know what the Toronto Blessing was all about, don't you? It's fizzled out a bit recently. But at the height, they had what they called the Holy Laugh. Thousands and thousands of people, night after night, would attend these meetings and they would be slain in the spirit. And they would break out and talk in an unknown tongue, static utterance. And then thousands of those people would start to laugh uncontrollably. They believed as the demons came out. The question is I ask when I look at these things, and incidentally, when the man said, I want you to go, I said, No, I'm not going. And after I'm through this sermon, you'll know why I said no. And the question today is, is there a word from the Lord? Let me say it ever so plain again, God loves every person. God loves the people who are in the Muslim religion. He loves them. He loves them just as much as he loves the Christians. He loves all types of Christians. He loves the Roman Catholics and the Baptists and the Adventists and the Pentecostals. He loves the Buddhists and the Hindus. He loves people and he's got his his people everywhere. So we're not talking critically about people, but we're talking from the Bible. I want to talk now about talking in tongues. Around the world today, not just a few million, but hundreds of millions of people believe that the Spirit of God comes upon them and they speak in unknown tongue to God. They believe that this is the clearest proof of their salvation. I want to talk now about the true gift of tongues and the counterfeit. And you better listen up. You better hear this because you need to hear it. Would you come with me over here to the promise Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Now Jesus here is giving the great commission and I want you to take your Bible. Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Just pause there. If you belong to a church that is a social club, and isn't going to all the world to preach the gospel, you're in the wrong church. Because the true church will go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. I want you to notice this. This is pretty important. When the Bible talks about the gift of tongues and these miracles, it's in the context of preaching the everlasting gospel. Because Jesus said, my disciples are going to go, where? Into all the world. And they're going to go to places where people will not understand their language. And therefore, I'm going to give them the supernatural ability to communicate with people around the world. And so, the gift of tongues was promised in connection with the giving of the Great Commission. The fulfillment must be in harmony with the promise. Did you get that? The fulfillment must be in harmony with the promise. And a text without a context is a pretext. Now this passage was fulfilled at Pentecost. Would you come over here to Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 and onwards. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and onwards. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and onwards. I want you to notice the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the fulfillment of the promise of the prophecy of the Lord. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking, what does it say? In his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is the fulfillment. God gave to the holy apostles the ability to preach the word of God in foreign languages so that people could respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and so they could be saved. When you read on in the scriptures in the same passage, the Bible tells us this was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as prophesied by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And back here in Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out upon those righteous men and women, they spoke in tongues. Now, it's important for you to understand this. The word tongue in the Greek language of which the Bible is written in the New Testament simply means language. Let me say it again. The word tongue simply means language. And right there at Pentecost in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave to the church, the disciples were talking in tongues but not An ecstatic language, not some ecstatic experience. They were preaching the Word of God. Every time tongues is mentioned in the New Testament, I don't have time today to give you a full study on this, but every time tongues or languages are mentioned in the New Testament, it's in the context of a multicultural environment. You read in the Bible how the disciples at Ephesus received the gift of tongues. That's in the book of Acts. And Ephesus stood at the center of these great roads where people were passing through from every spot on the face of the earth. And so the Ephesian Christians could communicate the gospel to foreigners. God gave them the gift of tongues. This gift is important Because it was given so people could reach the lost for Christ. I want you to hear that. It was given so the church could reach the lost for Christ. Let me talk to you about the church of God in Corinth. What was Corinth like? I guess a little bit like Los Angeles or New York. Some other great city. It was cosmopolitan. Many, many different languages. In this great city of the angels, there are more than two hundred tongues that are spoken. Corinth was cosmopolitan. It was wild, and it was a wicked city. And when people came into the Church of God out of the city of Corinth, some of them brought that old spirit. And the church of Corinth, even though they were called the saints of God, they had a few problems. For instance, let me tell you, there was a man who was living with his father's wife, and the church didn't seem to care a bit. They said SO, THE CHURCH WAS FILLED WITH DIFFERENT PARTIES. YOU CAN READ THIS IN THE BOOK OF CORINTHIANS. THERE WAS THE PARTY OF APOLLOS. HEY, I BELONG TO THE PARTY OF APOLLOS. OTHERS SAID, I BELONG TO THE PARTY OF PAUL. OTHERS SAID, I BELONG TO THE PARTY OF CHRIST. IT WAS A CHURCH THAT HAD THEOLOGICAL AND SPIRITUAL PROBLEMS. WHEN THEY WENT TO THE LORD'S SUPPER, THE APOSTLE PAUL SAYS, that they scandalized the Lord's Supper by turning the sacred memorial to our Lord's death into a gluttonous feast. They even used to fight over the food. This was a church that God had blessed and members of that congregation had received the gift of languages to preach the gospel to the world. And they turned the gift of languages upside down. Would you please come to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians must be understood in the context of scripture. If you have a difficult passage, explain it by a simple one. 1 Corinthians Chapter 14 and verse 22. Dear hearts and gentle people, this is a key note passage. Verse 22. Have you got it? Tongues then are a sign. Are you listening? Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for Unbelievers. So the Bible says here, Paul says, tongues are a sign not for believers in the church, but for unbelievers in the world. What happened in the church in Corinth? Like what has happened today to so much of the Christian church? While Corinth was going to hell in a basket case, the church members had got together in a holy huddle and they were using the God-given gift of languages not to preach the gospel to the lost, but for self-glorification and self Exaltation. Remember this tongues are a sign for unbelievers. That's not how speaking in tongues operates today. In the great charismatic movement, tongues are a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. And believers come together and they say, I speak in tongues, glory be to God, and this is proof that I have the Holy Spirit and that I am saved. So today, tongues are a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers in the church. They've turned it on its head. I can remember years ago, Beverly, the kids, I were staying at a trailer park. It was Christmas time. There was a man who was sitting out the front of his trailer, his RV. We went over and the wife was quite excited. She came out and she said, my husband has just found the Lord. I said, that's wonderful. She said, I know he's saved because he can talk in tongues. She said, he is filled with the spirit. He certainly was. He couldn't get up to shake my hand. Tongues are no guarantee, apparently, against drunkenness. Did you read the articles in the LA Times? You should read them. She said, We have the ultimate proof. I opened my Bible. She said we don't need it. Why do I need it? Because I have something more important than the word. I have the Spirit. And I have the Spirit because I talk in tongues. A passage that my dear friends use is 1 Corinthians 14:1 to 5. And I want you to look at this today, perhaps as you've never Looked at it before. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 and onwards follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That means preaching and explaining the divine will. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. This is not what God intended. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified in the Corinth holy huddle, Brother Zacchaeus, who had received the gift of languages, with Sister Ruth and all the rest of them, were there in the holy huddle talking to God and edifying themselves and saying, Look how great we're doing. And the Bible said, Paul said, The tongues. NOT A SIGN FOR BELIEVERS, BUT FOR NON-BELIEVERS. WOULD YOU PLEASE NOTICE VERSE 14. VERSE 14, 1 CORINTHIANS CHAPTER 14 AND VERSE 14. FOR IF I PRAY IN A TONGUE MY SPIRIT PRAYS, but my mind is unfruitful. Now listen carefully. I'm going to tell you something that very well may save your soul. My beloved friends whom I love and appreciate in the charismatic movement says, what happens is that when I speak in tongues and the Spirit of God comes upon me, I pray in the Spirit, but my mind becomes a void. My mind goes into neutral and from my spirit pours out this praise to God. I noticed today, as I had my own private worship and I was reading from the new, no, from the amplified version of the scriptures, it says, my mind is unfruitful. That means produces no fruit. The gift of tongues was given for the production of fruit, the saving of souls. But in this experience, the mind bears no fruit. It doesn't mean it, in this context, that it is a vacant mind. It doesn't mean it is an empty mind. It means it is an unproductive mind. Now listen carefully. I'm going to give... Little warning to the world, church. Here is a red flag. When the mind is emptied, as is believed by millions of Christians, they experience there is the possibility that another spirit will come in. This experience opens the door to spiritism. And you can prove it because when you open your Bible and talk to some people who've had this experience, they will run from the Bible. I was running a great campaign in the beautiful, wonderful city of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. Beautiful, beautiful city. Had two wonderful campaigns in Melbourne, one after another, the great Dallas Brooks. I baptized a man who made this confession. He said, Pastor Carter, I was a bouncer in a nightclub in Melbourne. You know what a bouncer is? I didn't know. (laughs) A bouncer is somebody who bounces you out. if You don't behave yourself. You know, can you imagine? Bounce, bounce, bounce. He said, I was a bouncer. He said, I was a spiritist. We baptized in that great campaign the leaders of the spiritualistic movement in the, in the city of Melbourne. And this man had been tied up in spiritism. And he said, when I was tied up in spiritism, he said, the evil spirit would come and talk through my lips. And I would speak a strange language. He said... I went along to a great revival meeting where people apparently were being healed and they took me aside and they coached me to talk in tongues. They taught me to say words over and over and over again fast and he said, in the name of the Lord they did it and I burst out in tongues. I said, yes. And he said, I was terror stricken. I said, why? He said, because the voice that came through in the religious meeting through my lips was the same voice that I recognized from the Seance Chamber. Watch it. Watch it. So the man said, come with me. And I said, no, no, no. Any person can be conditioned to talk in this aesthetic utterance. They have carried out experiments at Notre Dame University and they have got atheists and they have conditioned them and they have spoken in tongues. Exactly the same as so-called believers. It is a known fact that in the pagan world, in the Hindu world, and even among the Maoris of New Zealand, the talking in an aesthetic utterance is not limited to Christians. Atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, pagans. I say this with respect. Talking in tongues is generally a psychologically induced state. Anybody can be taught to speak in tongues. At everybody who goes along and get tongue every almost everybody is prepared for the experience and is coached until he comes out in the babel now i say this because i love you the abuse of tongues the ecstatic utterance is as addictive and dangerous as drugs there is a famous preacher we will call him the reverend jimmy and i heard the reverend jimmy say I've got to have it every day. He said I can't get through a day without it. He said some people need their drugs. I've got to have and then he jumped a little. He said, "I've got to have mine." And he was talking about talking in tongues. I asked the question, "Is the talking in tongues as practiced in certain religious gatherings a form of spiritism?" Firstly, it is a psychologically induced state of ecstasy. It feels good. The Reverend Jimmy, I've got to have it. It's like an addictive drug. And when the mind is made null and void, it leaves the person in an unstable condition. America needs it like a man needs a hole in his head. It causes emotional and mental and physical instability the same as the taking of drugs and it opens the way to spiritism. This is pretty serious stuff. Whenever I talk in spiritism, it's opposition. Now I'm going to talk in spiritism. I turned on a great religious network People say, you shouldn't preach about these things. I say to you, do you want the people to stay in darkness? Do you want them to go to hell? Are you more interested in your ratings than you are interested in the word of God? Think it through, friend. I turned on this great religious network and there was a preacher. He was padding up and down, had no Bible, but he's quoting texts of the Bible. And in the audience, there was a great 10,000 people People standing, raising their hands. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. But people were talking in tongues, apparently praising God. And then I heard it. (laughs) Don't laugh about that. (laughs) Sweeping through the audience. (laughs) I've heard it before. Dr. John Hammond, whom you folks know, went with me and Woi Woi into a home where a lady had turned away from Christ, become demon-possessed. I heard it that night. <laughs> the demon. You watch it. When I went into that home, I felt the same presence as I when I watched that church service. Would I go to that church? You wouldn't drag me there. Let's talk about miracles. People say, my dear friends say, the Bible is full of miracles. Miracles are the norm. One man has a television program that says, expect a miracle, especially if you send money. Look at the facts. I'm going to disagree with all those preachers and disagree with a lot of people here. Miracles are not the norm in the Bible. They happen to creation. then thousands of years, the flood. And then hundreds and hundreds of years later, the exodus with the plagues. Then you come hundreds of years and you come to Elijah and Elisha. Hundreds of years between. Then you come hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe a thousand oh, five hundred, whatever it is, down to the days of Daniel. He lived for more than 80 years of, of, of 80 years of his life. You have the miracle of the three worthies in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. A couple of miracles In 80 or 90 years. And then you come hundreds of years to the days of John the Baptist, it says John did no miracle, but all that he spoke of this man was true. Then you come to Jesus, and for three and a half years the world was lit up with his glory. Then you come to the apostles, and there were miracles. And then the Bible says the miracles will come again at the end of time. Listen carefully to me, my charismatic, beloved friend, whether you're in the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church or the Baptist Church or the Pentecostal Church or even maybe in the Adventist Church. Miracles happen at great isolated times of challenge and crisis. Obviously, creation. Obviously at the flood. The exodus, because God was raising up a people to take them out of the land of Egypt. In the days of Elijah, because Israel had gone into apostasy. In the days of Jesus, because miracles were given to authenticate his ministry. Miracles in the scriptures are like the afterburners on a great jet. They're not on all the time. You know when you turn on the afterburners? When do you turn them on to get going. God turned on the afterburners at certain phases in the history of the world to get it going. People say, but I go to church and I pray that I'm going to be healed. God doesn't heal me. I must be a terrible sinner. No. No. I want you to look at this text here. 2 Timothy 4 verse 20. This is pretty important that you get this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to understand this, folks. I want you to be absolutely clear on this. I don't want you to be deceived on this. I don't want you to end up with a mind that's void and destroyed. And as they say, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, you know. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth. And I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. He is the greatest miracle worker in the early Christian church and he couldn't heal Miletus. Ever thought about that? Why wasn't he healed? Listen to me. God turned on the afterburners at Pentecost to get the church going. But after a few years, Paul leaves this man, Trophimus, and he's sick, and he doesn't heal him because healings are not the norm. The Bible says a man ought to walk by faith and not by sight. There are some people who put their faith in miracles. What say if they put them in the wrong miracles? That's happening. In the Bible, there are vast periods of time when there are no healings, no raisings of the dead. Listen to this. Our salvation does not depend on miracles or talking in tongues. There are two types of gospels. I don't want you to miss this. You can take this in. There's a subjective gospel and there's an objective gospel. The subjective gospel is egocentric. The true gospel is God-centric. People say, I know I'm saved because what happens within me? That's egocentric. The true gospel says, I am saved because Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe in Jesus. The kids have got to write when they sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know not because I feel great. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. I've had people tell me, you're not saved, brother. You don't talk in tongues. I say the Bible says a person who prophesies is greater anyhow. That term prophecy, when it's used there, it means the preaching of the divine will. But I'm saved by Christ alone, scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. The Gospels, the Bible tells me in the book of Galatians, that there came into the church a different Gospel. A Gospel that was based upon man's works. I am saved because Jesus died for me. And I trust in him. Listen to this. this is so important. A part of the false gospel is the prosperity gospel, where poor, good people, gullible, give their savings to support wealthy preachers and evangelists. Jesus said, "By their fruits, you'll know them. The Bible tells me, feed the sheep. It doesn't say shear the sheep. I've been out on the great sheep stations in Australia. You know there are sheep stations in Australia that are bigger than some countries. I've been there where they shear thousands, hundreds of thousands of sheep. I've watched, I've watched the shears. I've been in the, the shearing mills. Click, go the shears, boys. Click, click, click. Shearing the sheep. Ever seen a big Merino sheep when it's been sheared, it's naked, it's bald. All the wool's been taken off it. That's what some preachers do to people. They leave them naked. Jesus said, that's what false prophets do. He said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, shear my sheep. In the last days, God's true Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. I know something about this. I've been a part of it. I've seen it. I've seen, glory be to God, the largest secular crowds attending religious meetings anywhere in the world. You say, oh, no. that." Yeah, the largest unbelieving crowds anywhere in the world. I felt the Spirit of God when I walked out before a great crowd of communists and atheists. I felt the Spirit of God drop on me like a mantle. I know what I'm talking about. I have experienced the Spirit of God, weak, sinful, frail human being that I am. But the Bible says the true Spirit of God is going to be counterfeited. Come over here to Revelation 13 and let me give you a little theology. We always try to have a little theology, you know. Revelation 13, verse 11 and onwards, and we turn to the passage. Revelation 13, on the false prophet. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, pretends to be like Christ but he spoke like a dragon. You know who that is? He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. There have been some crazy things written about this. People have said, oh, that's talking about dropping the the atom bomb. Nothing, nothing to do with this. In Revelation 19, the lamb-like beast that represents, and you know what we're talking about. In Revelation 19, the lamb-like beast is called the false prophet. And the false prophet lies. And the Bible says he brings down fire. Now the Bible, listen carefully, listen up. The Bible talks about the return of Elijah the prophet. Elijah, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. We talk about the Elijah message. And in the days of Elijah, he brought down fire from heaven, on Mount Carmel. Well, the devil says, anything God can do, I can do better. God poured out fire from heaven at Pentecost. Fire from heaven is a symbol of the Spirit of God and the Antichrist in the last days. The false prophet, the false religious prophet, who's only interested in profit. This power brings down in the last days a false outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we are seeing it. And the world is being hypnotized and their minds are being destroyed so they can't study the Bible. And when you talk to so many people today, they look at you like a deer that's been caught in the headlights. Read this text. That's why the politicians have to deal in 20 seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, sound bites. The devil has stolen a match upon the world and the church. We are seeing it. The false fire is here. Now is the time to believe the true gospel and obey God's word and to build on the rock and not on sinking sand. Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 21 and onwards, Matthew 7 our blessed Lord Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil to But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Let us kneel as we pray. Now, I sure hope you folks got all of that today. It's pretty important. That's why we get Bibles out in this church. That's why we don't believe in religious brainwashing. That's why we say to people, bring your Bibles, don't be dummies, don't check your minds in at the door. This is not a charismatic church, this is not a tongue speaking church, this is a church that is filled with the Holy Ghost, and believes in the Word of God. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you today for the privilege of being here in church. We thank you, our Father, that we've lived to see the false fire poured out upon this land. Because it tells us that whenever there is a counterfeit, God is preparing to bring on the real. We believe that the greatest days of the church are still to come. That the Spirit of God is going to be poured upon his people who love God and who keep his commandments. People who trust in the blood of Christ and who obey his word. And that the work on earth, God's work on earth, is going to finish not in obscurity, but in a blaze of glory. Dear Father, Might it be that we shall be a Bible-reading people. Might it be that we shall be a people who do not trust in our emotions, but help us to have a trust and a reliance upon the Lord Jesus. And may this trust be translated into lives that love God and that love people and that obey his word Dear Father, save us from building houses today on the sand. Help us to build our lives today upon the rock. We worship you today. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you our devotion. We give you our loyalty. We give you our hearts, we give you our spirits, we give you our minds, in Jesus' name, amen.